Uh, the next case is State versus Boyd, and we will hear from the appellant. Good afternoon, Your Honors. Um, may it please the Court, my name is Jason Yoder, and I am here today representing Mr. Isaiah Boyd. Uh, this case requires this Court to overrule something that it has said about the relationship between larceny and robbery. On the one hand, this Court has stated that larceny and robbery are different crimes with different elements. There are defenses that are available to larceny which are not available to robbery. On the other hand, this Court has stated that larceny and robbery, uh, that larceny is a lesser included offense of robbery because of a special or transactional relationship between the two offenses. In essence, this case asks this Court to either reaffirm the definitional test that is applied in Weaver and many other cases, or um, state or reaffirm that this uh, relationship is special and that even though it fails the definitional test, larceny is going to be a lesser included of robbery. The requirement that an indictment allege that each element of an offense is a constitutional requirement, which was ratified in 15A 924's requirement that an indictment include facts supporting every essential element of a criminal offense. The indictment in this case is effectively an unauthorized short-form indictment because it fails to allege the essential element um, of ownership as this court has required in Thornton, Thompson, and State versus Campbell, most recently in 2015. Many of you remember that case. Um, and because it fails to allege the essential element of larceny, there is no jurisdiction over the lesser included or the, the offense of larceny where this indictment failed to allege the ownership uh, of the property in this case. The um, element of ownership is used for multiple reasons. First, ownership is an element of larceny because you have to have the intent to deprive the owner of the property and it has to be without the owner's consent. So ownership is an essential element of larceny, but this court has found that for robbery, it is inessential and that no fatal variance occurs when the owner of the property may differ from that of the property taken. Counsel, are there different types of owners or ownership? Well, this court has divided ownership into sort of two types of owners. There may be um, owners of a natural person or corporate or institutional owners. Uh, the cases sort of treat those as a little bit differently. Um, Campbell had both a sort of personal owner in the, uh, and as well as an owner of, a, of an entity. Is that what you're referring to? Well, uh, could you be a beneficial owner of property? Well, you, you might be able to have a special property interest. Um, but, of course, the essential question for a larceny is whether the owner himself uh, consented to the taking, not where, whether where the, is the person who's in possession of the property uh, wanted to relinquish it or not. And, and where do we limit that definition of ownership? Where, where have we limited that definition in our case law? Well, there's some cases I cited in my brief. There's the, the case of the, the shotgun that was uh, in the, the, I think it was like the, the home, it was owned by the husband uh, or by the father, but it was in the possession of the family. 
and there was a fatal variance found in that case because the ownership, uh, as alleged in that larceny, didn't match the ownership um, in that case. And if you have property in your house, you, you may very well be a special, have some kind of special property interest. But because the ownership failed, um, this court reversed that conviction and declared that there had been a fatal variance in that case. So, I mean, there are different ways of possessing, um, but there's only one way of owning, and that's the essence of larceny. In order to reach the result that you're advocating that we reach, do we have to either overrule white or adopt a rule that uh, says, in effect, whether something is a lesser-included offense of uh, robbery depends on the wording of the indictment? Um, I do not believe this court needs to overrule white. Um, well, and if we don't overrule white in order to get to where you're urging us to go, don't we then have to, um, in effect, give the grand jury the ability to decide whether a particular larceny is a lesser-included offense of robbery? Well, the, the state would have to allege both of the um, have bring an indictment for both uh, a larceny. Well, you would have to. You would either have to write. You'd have to have a different type of indictment. Uh, therefore, making whether larceny is a lesser included offense of robbery dependent upon the wording of the indictment, so that some larcenies would be and some larcenies would not be. Uh, based solely upon whether certain allegations appear in the indictment. That'd be the effect of your alternate argument, wouldn't it? Well, and, and that, that, Your Honor, I, I believe that's correct, and that's actually what we have in murder. Um, we have assault, which is not a lesser-included uh, variant of murder, and the prosecution can elect to charge a person with assault or not. It's their do you, election. Do you, do, you know of any, do you know of any instance in which the word, how a particular indictment is worded governs whether a particular crime, not a particular offense, but a particular criminal act is or isn't a lesser included offense of, an, of a greater offense? Uh, well, certainly there are cases where um, a, an indictment has failed to allege uh, or has alleged incorrectly um, a crime, and the Court of Appeals has found that there was jurisdiction over an alternate crime, but not the crime the state had attempted to prosecute. Well, that, that's a variance question and not a sufficiency question, isn't it? Uh, well, a variance, it, um, it typically would be considered a variance as well. A case involving a variant does not involve a fatal defect in the indictment. My understanding of your argument here is you're contending that there is a fatal defect to the extent that this uh, indictment alleges larceny. That's correct. And so there's, there's a difference between a fatal defect and a variance, isn't there? There is. Uh, a, a variance typically occurs where a factual allegation differs from that that's brought in the indictment. Right. But it proves the exact same offense. So instead of, you know, a fatal variance is where the state alleges the murder of A, but a trial proves the murder of B. It's still a murder, and the indictment is sufficient as to all the elements. I mean, Here, um, there can be no fatal variance because the owner is never alleged. So the defense of against larceny, which is typically available to every defendant, is completely unavailable because the state has not alleged the essential element 
that, that is there for notice and um, the ownership element of the fence. Um, if there are any more questions from the court, I would reserve the remainder of my time. Thank you, counsel. We'll hear from the FLA. Good afternoon, Your Honors, and may it please the Court. My name is Keith Clayton from the Department of Justice, and I represent the state in this case. The defendant argues here that because larceny contains an element not required for common law robbery, that his conviction for larceny as a lesser-included offense was improper, relying on the definitional test articulated in State v. Weaver. In his brief, <coughs> defendant argues that this Court's application of the definitional test regarding robbery and larceny has been, quote, somewhat inconsistent, unquote. Respectfully, this is not an accurate representation of the law. In reality, this Court's treatment of larceny as a lesser-included offense of robbery has been consistent for decades. The only departure from this practice was in State v. Hearst, one case which was promptly overruled by this Court in State v. White less than one year later. In White, this Court uh, deemed Hearst to be an aberration of its longstanding jurisprudence, established through decades of common law, recognizing that larceny is a lesser-included offense upon an indictment for robbery. In fact, for over 150 years, going back to State v. Cody in 1864, this Court has held that larceny is a lesser-included offense of robbery, noting that, quote, robbery and larceny are both felonies and of the same general kind, the former being an aggravated species of the latter. And such has been the law ever since, but for one brief and anomalous detour in Hearst. This Court in White further observed, correctly, that the definitional test existed before Weaver, and that cases preceding Weaver, um, such as State v. Young, for example, still recognized larceny as a lesser-included offense of robbery. Moreover, other than Hearst, none of the cases cited by a defendant in his brief in support of the definitional test involve larceny and robbery. Consequently, all the defendant really has in this case is Hearst, which has been overruled, and the dissent in White, which is not controlling, versus a century and a half of case law affirmed, approved, and reaffirmed time and time again by this court. I'd also like to briefly discuss the concept of reliance as it applies to this issue. Given the longstanding rule established in our case law, prosecutors, judges, and defense attorneys alike uh, have all come to rely on this court's repeated functional interpretation finding larceny as a lesser-included offense of robbery. For example, if the prosecutor in this case had believed that ownership would be required for the lesser-included instruction of larceny, he would have included such an allegation in the indictment. Moreover, the defendant didn't raise the issue of ownership uh, because the law on larceny as a lesser-included offensive robbery is you know, presumably because the law is, is well-established. Uh, everyone here involved in the proceedings below was acting in reliance upon this long-standing common law rule. I'd also like to briefly touch on the principle of legislative acquiescence. 
In State v. Jones from 2004, cited in the state's Memorandum of Additional Authority, this court discussed and applied the principle of legislative acquiescence in the criminal context when the General Assembly failed to intervene in light of a long-standing judicial practice. And in Jones, it was the treatment of possession of cocaine as a felony for over 25 years. And as, as I've noted, this court and the Court of Appeals have repeatedly stated and affirmed the rule uh, that larceny is a lesser-included offense of robbery for over a century. And as this court stated in Jones, the General Assembly is presumed to be aware of this judicial practice, and yet it has failed to forbid or codify this rule in our statutes, which in, the legislature has uh, essentially then acquiesced with respect to this long-standing judicial practice. And moreover, in White, uh, this court expressly stated its interpretation that the legislative intent of the robbery statute was that larceny was intended as a lesser-included offense, and yet the General Assembly has still declined to clarify or intervene. Can, can I ask you about what I think is also, also another long-standing rule, and, and that is that in this state we use a definitional test to determine what a lesser-included offense is? And so my question is, are you, does the state agree that under the definitional test um, larceny is not a lesser-included offense of robbery because it doesn't contain all the same, it has an element different from the elements of robbery? Uh, no, ma'am. No, Your Honor. The state does not agree. I mean, larcenist intent does not turn on who owns the property. Uh, rather, it turns on who has the right to possession. And so the state is not prepared to, to concede that, in all cases, ownership is a, an essential element of larceny. I mean, here, um, during both the charge conference and the jury instructions, when the court was reciting the elements of larceny, it used the term victim, not owner. You must take the property without the victim's consent, and, and so on. But, but doesn't that bump up against another set of precedents, which say that um, an indictment for larceny needs to identify the owner of the property? Well, let me, let me use a hypothetical to try and answer that question. Um, let's assume that Mr. Patterson found the game, like the night before, and then decided to put it on eBay or, or let go or whatever it was the next day. And all the other facts are the same. He meets the defendant, the defendant snatches the property, pushes Mr. Patterson down, threatens him, and leaves with the property, and the property's gone. I mean, can we say in that instance that a larceny against the person did not occur? Of course, a larceny from the person occurred. I mean, it would be the same thing even on perhaps more believable facts that, you know, let's suppose Ellington got out of the car instead of Patterson. And again, the same facts. Defendant snatches the property, pushes him down, um, threatens him, and makes off with the property, and the property disappears. I mean, it's, it, it would be somewhat, it, it would be hard to reconcile, you know, stating that a larceny against the person didn't occur in, in that sort of factual circumstances. I mean, so when you, when you take sort of that notion and you look at the fact that this court for over 100 years has affirmed and restated, you know, this fact that larceny is a lesser included offense of robbery, um, I mean, in Hearst, I mean, the definitional test, to your point, you know, was applied by this court. Yet at the very first opportunity, um, 
Less than one year later, this court reversed itself on application of the definitional test for larceny and robbery. Um, and so the state, you know, contends that ownership in this instance, it just doesn't really matter for the reasons stated in, in the hypotheticals that, that I just pointed out. And, you know, to elaborate on that point, let's look at the case of State v. Rogers. In State v. Rogers, you had a robbery of an employee who was on duty at his place of employment. And in that case, the indictment actually did name an owner, and it named the employee as the owner. And that actually turned out to be incorrect. Property was owned by the store. But in that case, this court held that the lesser included instruction was not given an error, but that even if it had been, a lesser included instruction is not, uh, excuse me, is not prejudicial to the defendant, but it's actually prejudicial to the state. And that court stated, I believe, quote, that an error on the side of mercy is not, is not reversible. So there, I mean, you have an instance where an owner was named and it was the wrong owner, yet this court held that there was no error, or alternatively that if there was error, um, you know, that, that it was not prejudicial to the defendant. So, you know, I think in this case, you, you know, the defendant has taken an instruction that he sought in the trial court below to use as a shield from greater liability for the greater crime and is now trying to use that same instruction that the defendant requested as a sword on appeal to say that his conviction was improper and to have that conviction reversed. And the state would submit that that's sort of the epitome of a hyper-technicality um, such as those contemplated in Sturdivant, Williams, Freeman, and just two weeks ago in Old Boy by this court. Um, that would that would be at odds, you know, with the purposes of, of finding justice. So let me ask you about um, sort of where we are in the law on, on the lesser included offenses. It appears that, and tell me if I'm wrong here, that your, your argument is that we have for a long time treated larceny and robbery as sort of different than the usual analysis of what's a lesser included offense based on the definitional elements. Um, and uh, it appears that the court and, and White and was fairly divided on the issue, and the dissent basically said, you know, there's really not any reason to do this except that we've done it before and we think it's a bad rule. Um, and now here we are again. Um, other than the fact that it's been done in the past, treating larceny as a lesser included, regardless of the elements test, is there a logical reason to treat it, these two crimes differently than all of the others for the purpose of determining what's a lesser included offense? And if so, what, what's the sound basis for that rule? Sure. Um, I, th I think there is. Um, and I'll try, to, I'll try to answer that question in, in several ways. I mean, for starters, and this, this wasn't your question necessarily, but, you know, this is not the only relationship between a greater and a lesser crime that this court has sort of looked at and, and disregarded the definitional test. And, and what I'm referring to is involuntary manslaughter on a charge for murder. Involuntary manslaughter requires that it, uh, quote, you know, not be a felony, and, and I might be misquoting this, but not in, intended, you know, to, to lead to the death um, of the victim. And, of course, those are elements that are not present for murder, but this court has, you know, continuously allowed 
involuntary manslaughter to be treated as a lesser included offense of murder. But I think if, uh, you know, importantly, I think if you look, as I alluded to a moment ago, at the purpose and the requirements of an indictment, you know, the constitutional purposes of indictments, as this court well knows, are to identify, you know, clearly the crime being charged, thereby putting the defendant on notice to defend against it and prepare for trial, and to protect the defendant from being jeopardized more than once with the same crime. And, you know, in this specific indictment, you know, there was no argument by the defendant that uh, the common law robbery, it's the indictment for common law robbery itself was defective in any way. And there's been no dispute that all of the essential elements of common law robbery have been alleged. And there was no argument below that the defendant did not have adequate notice of the charges against him. And even on appeal, there's been no argument really as to how the state could prosecute the defendant again for the same crime. And even more specifically, there's been no explanation as to how this lack of an ownership allegation would either expose him to double jeopardy or adversely affected um, his ability to prepare for trial. And so, as I mentioned a moment ago, um, in response to Justice Earls, you know, this indictment is sufficient to establish you know, larcenous intent um, and to put this defendant on notice of what charges he would be called upon to meet at trial. And I think if we look back, you know, again, at some of this court's precedents, this court has consistently rejected these hyper-technical approaches to indictments in favor of a flexible functional analysis. And, and for example, in State v. Sturdivant, uh, this court stated that it is, quote, not the function of an indictment to bind the hands of the state with technical rules of pleading. And more recently in State v. Williams from 2016, this court stated that it is no longer bound by strict pleading requirements of the common law and observed that, quote, contemporary criminal pleading requirements have been designed to remove from our law unnecessary technicalities which tend to obstruct justice. This court has made clear in these cases that it does not favor justice to allow a defendant to escape merited punishment based upon an unnecessary technicality. And as I mentioned, importantly, these principles were unanimously reaffirmed by this court just a month ago or earlier this month in State v. Old Boy. So here, I mean, the, the, the indictment describes the property with certainty. It identifies the date of the offense specifically. It identifies the victim by name. So for all functional and practical purposes, this indictment meets all of the constitutional requirements necessary to protect defendants as set forth in Sturdivant, Williams, Old Boyd, and other cases. So here, you know, the defendant's argument is essentially the epitome of a hyper-technicality. Well, the defendant does argue that the indictment was sufficient to charge robbery, but not sufficient to support the charge of larceny because it didn't include all of the elements. Well, as I mentioned before, I, the state is not prepared to concede that in all cases, ownership is an essential element. And I think the question was raised when Mr. Yoder was speaking. You know, this, this is not necessarily the case to kind of get down into the ownership weeds on, quite frankly. Ownership is not an issue in this case. As I mentioned in my hypotheticals, had someone else, not the owner, been the person who met the defendant and, and engaged in this exchange and was, you know, property was taken and was assaulted, ownership would have no bearing on the defendant's guilt here. Um, there's, I mean, I think in a case where, going back to Rogers, for example, 
if you have ownership alleged in an employee, but that ownership is actually vested legally in an employer, then certainly there could be a situation where the lack of a precise or a correct or an ownership allegation whatsoever would deprive the defendant of the opportunity to defend himself at trial. It, it would deprive him of information necessary to, to mount that defense and perhaps to protect him from double jeopardy. That's just not the issue in this case. And, but and we have held recently that ownership is an element that must be in the indictment, haven't we? I think that that's been sort of, I, I don't know, I'm not sure that that's sort of a black letter uh, principle of, of, of law. I mean, we, you know, in Hearst, I think the issue was uh, that the indictment didn't allege an essential element of larceny, but that that was not the ownership element of larceny. I think it had to do with the value of the property in Hearst. Well, in Campbell and Ellis more recently, well, specifically we addressed that issue that the, for the court to have jurisdiction, the indictment had to allege ownership properly. Well, I, you know, I think in Ellis, you know, there were other issues factually in play there. Um, I, I'm not as familiar with that case, perhaps, as, as I would like to be standing before you now, but I know that uh, that had to do with, with whether an entity, you know, uh, could own property and whether that uh, ownership allegation had to be present in the indictment. Um, but um, again, that's sort of that situation where we're not looking at, you know, an individual where a crime is clearly a larceny from the person has clearly occurred. Well, whether that's an issue here or not, assume, uh, let's assume that, that we've addressed that issue recently. Um, what would be the logical or sound reason to carve out an exception to the um, definitional um, indictment requiring the elements of the offense to be in there? I mean, for, for all of the reasons that that's been the rule for over a century and a half. Because as this court stated in Cody, there's, there's just, you know, they are felonies of the same general kind the former being an aggravated species of the latter. There's just a relationship here um, that despite the existence of the definitional test, even before Weaver, this court has acknowledged time and time again um, merits you know, analysis beyond application of the definitional test. Because perhaps, uh, this is, I'm not, quoting the court here, but perhaps because application of the definitional test in many of these cases would lead to an unfair result or an, it would allow a defendant to escape justice uh, and escape merited punishment on a minor technicality. I mean, I'd, I'd reemphasize, you know, that here the defendant asked for this instruction himself below to shield himself from greater liability for the crime of common law robbery. And now here on appeal, he's trying to take that same instruction and use it as a shield, I mean, use it as a sword to have his conviction overturned. And I submit to you that just does not make logical sense. Well, ha and if the the, it is true that the, um, that the bright line rule that a, a defense has to be has to have all the elements included in order for it to be uh, lesser included is, is an easy rule to apply, generally. 
um, and that the rule that there's a relationship between the crimes is a little less right line, shall we say. Um, and how would you how would you describe the application of that rule other than to say it only applies to these two offenses? Well, again, I, I think larcenous intent turns on who owns the, I mean, not on who owns the property, but who's in rightful possession. Um, you know, as I stated before, I, I think, you know, at the trial court level even, and I, and I know I'm repeating myself, but in the charge conference and the jury instructions, you know, the term ownership wasn't even invoked in the trial court. The term was victim. Um, I think, you know, that that speaks to sort of the current status of the law on the relationship between larceny and robbery, and specifically larceny as a lesser-included offense of robbery. I mean, this court, um, again, I, I, I don't, I don't mean to repeat, but, you know, the court basically did um, sort, of, sort of what what you're asking of me in Hearst. And that proved unworkable. It proved unfe- infeasible. And this court, less than a year later, reversed itself and went back to the rule that has been standing the test of time since at least 1864 in Cody. I think I'd like to just reemphasize too that this defendant, you know, never argued that the indictment was flawed uh, in the trial court below. He hasn't made a colorable argument as to how the absence of this ownership allegation has prejudiced him in any way, prevented him from mounting his defense, prevented him, prevented him from being able to prepare to meet the charge against him. And there's certainly been no argument as to how he could be jeopardized again for this same crime. Um, And as such, his argument is is completely at odds with the principles um, that I've I've mentioned that this court has endorsed um, in Sturdivant and, and again, just two weeks ago uh, in Old Roy. And I think, you know, if ownership had been essential in this case to the defendant's preparation for trial and to his preparation for defending against these charges, he could have moved for a bill of particulars uh, if he believed that he couldn't defend this charge without knowing the legal name of the individual or entity that owned the property, but, but he didn't do this. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I've mentioned that even if this instruction were given an error, which the state does not believe that it was, but even if it were, this court has repeatedly held, not, not just in, in Rogers, but in other cases, that an instruction, a lesser included instruction given an error, is not prejudicial to the defendant, it's actually beneficial to the defendant, prejudicial to the state. And so in some, the defendant can only prevail in this appeal Quite frankly, if this court uh, disavows the decades, uh, if not century, of case law, finding that larceny is a lesser-included offense of robbery, 
and if it disregards Sturdivant, Oldroyd, Williams, Freeman, and the many other cases holding that hypertechnical pleading requirements should be rejected in favor of a flexible functional analysis so long as the constitutional requirements of due process and protection from double jeopardy have been met. The indictment in this case satisfied these constitutional requirements. The defendant had proper notice. He was able to prepare his defense, and he could not be retried for the same crime. And so for these reasons, as well as those stated in the, in the state's brief, the state asks that this court affirm the Court of Appeals and the judgment and sentence below. Thank you. Thank you. Rebuttal. Uh, very briefly, um, the state has argued that we, you know we haven't claimed that any defense was lost by the failure to allege uh, the ownership here, and um, we did specifically point out in our briefing, and I've mentioned previously during my opening argument that there is a fatal variance argument that was lost by the failure to allege this particular owner in this case, and so there is a defense that that, that would have been there otherwise that it's not in this case. The second point is to uh, Justice Hudson's uh, point. Um, this case is essentially asking this court to either affirm a functional test, which very few judges are going to be able to apply, or use the definitional test, which is used in 99.9% of cases that judges are going to be able to easily understand and apply in trial courts around North Carolina. And we are merely asking this court to apply the simple test that it has applied in almost every case as to whether uh, one charge is a lesser of another and to whether the indictment would support um, that lesser instruction. Your colleague has said that the defendant asked for this instruction. Uh, is that true? And if so, why is this not invited error? Well, that this case is not about an instruction. This case is about whether the indictment if the indictment is defective... No, 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 it never would have come up, but what your client apparently asked for the instruction, is that right? Um, I would have to look at that, Your Honor. I am not 100% sure. I believe he, he may have requested that instruction. So if he, instruct, if he requested it, how is that not invited error? Well, this court has said that a court lacks jurisdiction to proceed on a charge if the indictment is fatally defective. So there would be no ability to proceed at all on the lesser instruction in this case. But if he the asked for it. didn't charge it. I mean, clearly the indictment is fine for the armed robbery, and the larceny only came up because your client asked for it. How, how, I, I don't understand why that isn't the defendant himself inviting this error. Very briefly, you just said it was sufficient for armed robbery. Well, but this or, is actually I'm sorry, a common law common robbery law. case, so I want okay, to make I'm, that I'm, distinction. I'm, I'm, I misstated. There's a lot of confusion in these cases about the, the armed robbery and common law robbery and discussions about them. The Hearst and the white line of cases in Young, almost all of those are, well, White and Hearst are about armed robbery. That should be clarified. And neither of those cases actually address the specific issue that's um, in this case as to the ownership element. Isn't, isn't the general rule that an indictment for a greater offense is sufficient to support a conviction for a lesser included? That is the general rule. You are correct. Um, 
The, one of the thing I wanted to briefly address is um, legislative um, acquiescence. I don't think that applies in this case. I think it's the court that determines whether one charge is a lesser of another and that the General Assembly cannot um, create a lesser included that fails to have you don't, you don't, I'm sorry, Mr. Yoder. Did you just say that the General Assembly lacks the authority to state that a particular offense is a lesser included offense of something else? That, that is correct. You believe, can you cite me anything that says that? There's actually a Court of Appeals case directly on that. It should Continue. be in the briefing where the General Assembly uh, declared, I, I believe, that one was a lesser offense of the other. And the Court of Appeals rejected that. Has this, court, has this, court, has this court ever done that? Um, I do not. That, that, that particular case was up on a petition for discretionary review that was eventually improvidently allowed. So that has been, it was reviewed by this court, and this court decided that there was, they didn't want to take that case. Whether they thought that was error or not is a question one of those judges that were there at the time would know. <laughs> but we know that the denial of a PDR doesn't mean that they approve the reasoning below. Um, but it was not reversed. So that is the controlling law in North Carolina at this time. In this case, it doesn't involve that because there is no statute that specifically says that larceny is a lesser included of, of robbery. So um, to the extent that general, you know, the General Assembly acquiescence argument exists, it, it doesn't apply in this case. Um, and if there are no more questions, I will just close by saying that Mr. Boyd requests that this court vacate his conviction below. Thank you, counsel. Thank you, everyone.